Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. This month we're discussing book 26, Thief of Time. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, it was it was better than both of us remembered, and I remembered liking it quite a lot. Yeah, I remembered liking this one pretty good, but it was... This doesn't usually go on your list of rereads, though, so no. you hadn't read it in quite some time. No, this is the first time I'd read it in, in a while. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in this about um, the history monks, mm-hmm. which are like... Um, uh, they're monks, like, they're supposed to be sort of Tibetan kind of monks. Yeah, your typical Kung yeah. Fu, like... They do martial arts, but they're also spiritual. Only yeah. in this case, martial arts. Yeah, they do that, but mostly it's time stuff. And, and we've seen them pop up a bunch in previous books. Yeah, but I was a little worried that we were going to... Do like, some problematic yeah. stuff. And th- I'm sure that it's not perfect, but there yeah. wasn't anything where I was like, oh... It mostly plays on the sort of pop, mm-hmm. like... A lot of like, oh yeah, monks in Tibet on top right. of mountains and yetis actually appear yeah. and just like all the very sort of Kung surface Fu, level. Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. You know that was a sequel, right? It's called The Legend Continues. Nope. The show that everyone knows is Kung Fu, not the shitty UPN The shitty UPN follow-up to it. Yeah. No. That didn't have any of the same guys in it. And I, I remember there being a lot of mullets. That I don't remember. It's the 90s, so probably. Yeah. But Kung Fu, the original series from the 70s, was like loomed very large. The legend continues. That was like the next gen of that, only not good. I don't think I've seen more than but three episodes of that. I just but remember I'm aware commercials it. Yeah. for it. And thinking Kung Fu was not my jam at all, but mm-hmm. I understand and appreciate its, a, like, its position mm-hmm. as, a, as a classic. And why would you do this? <laughs> like the new Leave it to Beaver. Just, just stop. Money, 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 nom, nom, nom. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, I have heard him say that. <laughs> uh, anyway, why don't you summarize? Oh, my God, the summary is it's, a book in itself. I know. It's so long. This is, it's a lot's going on in this book. This is the best I could do. No, you did good. Go ahead. The auditors try and pause the universe, and Susan, Lopsang, and Lutze try and stop them. That's pretty much uh, it. This one's got a lot going you on. You didn't really tell us who those people were, though. Nope. Susan, Susan, we can yeah. accept that the listeners know who she is, but the other two are kind of new. So. We've met Lutze before, I think. I don't know that he's been named, maybe. Yeah. But we've definitely, as we find out in this book, met yeah. him before. Yeah, he is, his whole deal is that he is just a humble sweeper who's just in the background. You don't notice him. He's just cleaning stuff up. Mm-hmm. And Rule one. Yeah. And he uh, actually has a bunch of time powers and has been involved in a lot of sort of um, important historical moments. History cleanup is yeah. what they do. And what they talk about, and we'll get into this in a minute when mm-hmm. we talk about the, the plot of this book, but history has been shattered at least once before. And yep. the history monks have used their considerable resources to piece it back together as best they can. And we have seen him. Mm-hmm. This wasn't, I don't think, planned from the beginning, but we've seen him pop up, for instance, in Omnia mm-hmm. in Small Gods to make things happen the way they're supposed to have had happened, uh-huh. which is nice. And that's called back. There's a lot of good callbacks in this. This is maybe the most, like, sort of um, keystone. Yeah. Like, if you want to say, here's where all the series converge, there's a little bit of Angmorpork in here. There's a little bit of The Witches. There's a little bit of the books that don't really relate to any other books, like, mentioned. Honestly, it, it all as far as kind of a travelogue book where we see a lot of the disc, this is much better than the Rincewind it's, books. It's not bad at that, but I will say in terms of sort of tying everything mm-hmm. together, like, 
there's a mention of pyramids, which never, like, that book exists in its own world. And there's a mention of it here. Mm -hmm. And there's a mention of small gods, which, yeah, the Omnians are a thing now. But, you know, and it's cool because it all fits together in this world. And it's it's essentially, uh, for those of you who who are not familiar with this, Mm -hmm. a lot of you are nerds and do know this. But uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths was DC Comics' original uh, attempt to say... Our timeline has gotten muddled over then it was 30 or 40 years. Also, we've got fucking like alternate histories and guys from sideways universes. We need to make it all one thing. Yeah. And since then they do it every five years and it's gotten tedious. But the first time it was like, okay, we're going to make all this one continuity one. Like when you clean up the spaghetti cords behind your desk Uh and say this time it's going to be different. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this was Terry Pratchett's attempt to do that he cleaned he did clean up a lot of his timeline stuff because when you're sort of like it it, the answer is it's a fantasy well that's the thing we didn't need that was what i was building to is we didn't need that no he from book one has established uh reality is very flexible Mm -hmm. here magic wave your hands who cares and yet he still wanted to explain why Omnia seems to have happened 100 years ago, but also 300 years ago, and why this and that. Like, there's a bunch of things that don't really line up. And he did that in an entertaining narrative that probably satisfied the nerds that wondered, but also if you don't care about any of that... It didn't matter. It wasn't... It it serves as its own interesting story by itself. The point of this wasn't to clean up the timeline. No, that's just a nice... The point of it was to tell an interesting story. Right. Also, he managed to use it to clean up the timeline, which is, that's how you do it. Exactly. You don't waste everyone's time trying to fix up your mess. Yeah, because especially since we're just past the halfway point in the series, and he didn't know that at the time. He didn't know how long this was going to go, but it could still get messed up all over again. I think going forward from this point, he had a very clear idea of... This is one series, and anything that happens in the city needs to happen one after the other. Like, he had a better sense of... Well, when he first started the series, you can't imagine that he thought it was going to turn into, what, like a 45 book? 40, but yes. Like... He, he, you know, it was a parody. We talked about this in the early books, and... Who cares if Rincewind ran into a barbarian and then ran into a Lovecraft monster? It doesn't and then matter. Into, yeah, because yeah, it's all just funny pastiche. Honestly, parody. the first book felt like he thought maybe there'd be a second book, maybe, but that sort of feels like as far as he had kind of yeah. thought at that point. Just like reading it, I have no idea. I don't know. But putting aside the historical revisionism, which I thought was handled very yep. well, just in terms, like I just said, of this feeling like a full world where all of these people mm-hmm. live, any of the characters we have seen in the 25 previous books could have made an appearance in this, and several did. And they all felt natural, and none of it felt crowbarred in. And he writes a couple of really good ensemble books like Mm -hmm. this going forward. Well, there's a lot of stuff set in the city where Mm -hmm. we get all the people in the city, which is great. And this is... It's bigger than that. It's more ambitious than that. But it's also probably the first, like, really good one. I would say that, Yeah. yeah. It's also, this is my good thing, by far the best Susan book. Oh, totally. I've mentioned with all her other appearances Mm -hmm. how I really wanted to like her. She's a good idea for a character, but I never felt like I knew her very well or that she did much to move the story. She was always just a good idea for a character. But here, she feels much more realized. It's not even the first time she's been in charge of children. They did Mm -hmm. the governess thing before, but now she's a teacher and that fits a little better because she's in charge of a lot of kids for a very specific purpose. Mm -hmm. And... Her, and her no-nonsense, yes. logical schooling leads to that. And it's really put to the test in yeah. this story. She goes through some stuff where it's like, 
I've always been like this. And in every story, I'm sort of the immovable object. And here it's like, whoa, this is maybe beyond my normal, Mm -hmm. uh, rational way of dealing with things. And I'm a little, and she doesn't appear to be shaken, but she's clearly shaken. There's things that she's never dealt with here before. And it's nice. And she's still very strong, but also there's some weakness shown from maybe the first, like, she came off to She's me... She's a character in this. In a lot of the other stories, she came off to me as... A uh, plot device? That. Is it Kate Beaton who makes fun of strong female yeah. character? Yeah. It's, it reminded me a bit of that, where she had no... Like, her weakness, quote unquote, is that she's so good at her job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she was like... When you go to a I, job interview I and you say... I care too much. Yeah. Sometimes I work too hard her at my job. Her is, weakness is that she's so sensible and so logical mm-hmm. that sometimes her, her uh, relationships fail. And I get that, but it was... It, her weakness is that she has all the strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And here, there's so much more to that. Also, she clearly has an actual romantic interest, mm-hmm. which really only happens in the last pages of the book. And, and this is another one of Terry Pratchett's not being especially good at romances, where you could kind of sort of see it happening a little bit. You could see something going on there. And then at the end, he was like, and also they... And then they kissed the yeah, end. Yeah, maybe kissed. Well, probably. The, thing, the thing is... I feel like that was like the last hundred pages of this book mm-hmm. are the first bits of a romance story. Mm-hmm. We just came in at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was happening at the end of this other story. So I get that. But for me, I didn't need it to be a love story, but it was nice to know that she had ta- better taste mm-hmm. than she did as a superficial teenager when she had a crush on Buddy. Yeah, who was nothing. Yeah, this time Lobsang is... is a very complex character that yep. she spent some time with, got some time, got time to get to know him. And they have this bond because he's like her for the first mm-hmm. time. She's met someone who is kind of human, kind of more than that mm-hmm. and understands what she goes through in a way that no one she's ever met has before. And I like, I like that. I like their relationship and I like, I like that it turns into the hint of a romance, mm-hmm. but that's it. Like the very last sentence of the book is they probably kissed. Yeah. And I like that. It's It was nice. Well, there's a lot of um, that wonderful repetition of theme and idea oh, in yes, this book. Um, and we spend a lot of time. This this had so many plot threads and they were all put together so well. But I don't mm-hmm. want to make a muddle of it talking about it. Yeah, there's but a lot of stuff going there's on. There's a, this will come back to the kiss at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. It's a long walk. Join me. Um, well, it's at the end of the book. Yeah. It so, is a walk that at least lasts the book. Throughout the book, we have flashbacks to the first sort of real history monk, whose name is Wen. Ha-ha. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was a nice little pun because it sounds like an Asian name, but also it's Wen because time. Third base. Uh-huh. Um, so Wen and his apprentice Claude Poole are learning about time and when's like figuring out how all the time magic's going to work and all of that. And he keeps talking about being able to freeze a perfect moment mm-hmm. because where the history monks live, it's always this perfect spring day, which was when, when mm-hmm. uh, like set it, set it up in the first place. Right. Um, and so he talks about like all of these perfect moments that he's sort of capturing. And at the end of the book, um, when uh, Susan and Lopsang kiss, uh, the the book ends just sort of beautifully with, and sometimes there's a perfect moment. Yeah, that's the last yeah. line of the book. But 
we had that that felt like a setup and payoff that I didn't see coming. There's because, a lot of that. In yeah, because all of it was sort of the Abbott talking about that stuff. Right. No, and I like I like all of the Eastern philosophy, and this is the part that may be problematic mm-hmm. as far as I can tell is okay. As we say every single time, yep. we are not qualified to judge. Two white guys who don't know what we're talking about. Right. But as far as I can tell, I am a an amateur uh, uh, tourist when it comes to Eastern philosophy, specifically Buddhism. I, I've read a little bit about it. I like a lot of their ideas, not the spiritual parts, the philosophical parts of just like taking a damn minute and mm-hmm. thinking and questioning everything and, and all of the basic stuff like that. And there's a lot of good, like just from the rudimentary stuff that I know, mm-hmm. a lot of good blending that with the science of studying time and multidimensional stuff. Like mm-hmm. the Abbot's wisdom is sort of like a lot of deep physics also like sort of Zen Buddhism at the mm-hmm. same time. And I love all of that. And it also ties into the idea of chaos theory. Yes. Which we also talk about quite a bit in this book. We as run well. into another elemental what are the, what is the Avatar. Of, Avatar. That's yeah. what he calls himself. Which like death. Yeah. Um uh, chaos, which we'll talk about again. Um but, but I like that uh, ties into a lot of the time stuff. It does. Which, as as we get a deeper understanding into, of the way the universe works. Yeah. Which, and the, it's that Buddhist it's a philosophy thing, stuff. It's a thing that Star Trek tried to do a lot and failed every time. Oh boy, did they. By saying the mind and spirituality are the same as science. And I, I get the I get where you're coming from. I do. You have to do that very carefully though, or else and you have it to put ends in the work. nonsense. You have to put in the work. You can't just say that statement. You have to explain what it means and they never did they just said time and mind are one what but here they put so terry pratchett put so much Mm -hmm. work into what that means and the original teachings of when and the way the abbot thinks and then it also manifests in lutze Mm -hmm. who uses these sort of glib aphorisms Mm -hmm. that every old lady and we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that as well but like says only they sort of as terry pratchett says come back around the other way Mm -hmm by being these sort of perfect zen cohen things where it's like oh okay but all of with all of this stuff is getting explained but mm-hmm. it's never in huge chunks of boring exposition no, about it's, it's always it's, show and it's always character driven yes. it's all you're always learning about the character yes. and you're also getting this information and it's done so deftly yes i love all of the mythology mm-hmm. like a lot of times the mythology loses me we've talked about this mm-hmm. before this is one of those ways we're very different you are very steeped in this stuff i am not i don't know fucking anything about buddhism not one thing i, I know so little i'm not saying it it appeals to something that i understand i that's what i'm about to say mm-hmm. i don't i don't know that i've read anything about big machines that manage to spin up time mm-hmm. but something about that feels right it feels it makes sense internally. It I get it. The same with the glass clock. Mm-hmm. I don't understand where that comes from. I don't know what it's tapping into, but it, it feels real. It feels, and it feels very mythic. It like does. it feels like I ha- I haven't read a fairy story about a glass clock, but it feels like no, but I did. I didn't. Yeah. But it had I'm like, oh yeah, probably a glass <clears throat> clock as well. Yeah. But like there's a bit in the show Lost mm-hmm. where on the island they find this like this ancient stone machine that's yeah. come off the tread and everything's all messed up. Like time is skipping mm-hmm. around the island because of it and they have to go fix it. And 
they never exactly explain what that is, and that's a complaint for a lot of people, but something about that image to me perfectly, like, I don't know, I don't believe in any kind of, like, actual religion or anything, mm-hmm. but in terms of story and mythology, I love the idea of old machines controlling everything, mm-hmm. like old sort of stone and the way they describe these these time spinners. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's probably it. There's like a control panel somewhere in the universe mm-hmm. that controls time. But because it was built so long ago, it's like old stone stuff. And it's well, just really neat. If you're willing to believe that there's magic and that the mind can control time mm-hmm. and all of this kind of stuff then there's no reason that that couldn't have started back in the olden times when right. you had like less sophisticated like tools yeah. because it's all being driven by the human brain right. so like it it makes it makes internal sense it doesn't make sense like big stone tablets don't control time no i know but, but it but feels in this world it makes sense it feels like it's tapping into some greater thing that i've heard of except mm-hmm. i can't put my finger on what it is it's the same with the clock where it feels like it's something that i've read but i absolutely have not yeah but i love all of that stuff Mm -hmm. i love the way it blends a lot of kung fu stuff Mm -hmm. with a lot of like like they slice through time Mm -hmm. and it's described as in a way that is sort of like martial arts and and a little bit like swimming yeah i like all of that stuff like again i hope it's not problematic i hope it's not like weirdly appropriative of, of some of that culture and maybe it is but in terms of mythology and story, I find it very interesting. And in a way that the Hogfather stuff kind of lost me, mm-hmm. this did not, even though I can't identify what I know it from, it feels right. And I like all that a lot. But it is similar. Like, this is, honestly, this is a better version of Hogfather. Like, it, it's yeah. dealing well, with in, a lot of... in terms of, the... of Susan, but also in terms of elemental forces and all that stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, this, this has a lot of those themes that were tackled in Hogfather, mm-hmm. only... Better in every measure, every measurable way. Well, about half the series yeah. is motivated either by the auditors decide to turn everything off, mm-hmm. or someone in Ankh-Morpork decides to take out Vetinari. Those yep. are two plots that take up about a half of this yep. between them, about half of the series. And they're so broad that that's okay. I don't mm-hmm. mind that he keeps repeating it because they repeat in such different ways. And every book where Vetinari's disabled and they try to take over the city turns into a very different book because the watch is different every time and here susan is a different person yep death despite his protest to the contrary is a very different person. oh there's such a good bit because another one of the repeating themes in this is that these avatars like death and time and all those guys and we talk about the four horsemen there's yeah. there's war and famine and uh, pestilence and they're all like avatars of um these sort of elemental forces mm-hmm. uh but they are personified by humans and so all they of take them human shape yeah they take human shape and it's humans thinking about them that make them like this and so they're affected by how humans see them and as they spend more and more time with humans they become more human which is what we've seen happen with death that's happened with death i at least since mort but yeah. i think since because he's appeared in every yeah. book it may have started at the very first yes. book it's always been i'm a human shape and therefore mm-hmm. i'm starting to turn into a human but the reaper parts of reaper man mm-hmm. had so much of that yes good old bill door yes and the, but there's a great sequence in this where death's looking at war and pestilence and pestilence and famine and saying oh they've gotten so human and scared and, mm-hmm. and weak. not like me not like me good thing i've never changed even a tiny tiny bit and the thing is terry pratchett often will then elbow you in the ribs and say except he has right 
And at this point, he doesn't insult your intelligence. No. It's like, you've been reading all along. You know. You know. Unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. right? And that was very good. But that is one of the best uses of recurring theme. Mm-hmm. We talked about this in some of the other books. When he gets real good, and we're in that era yeah. now, like the same thing happens no matter where we cut away. It's the same basic idea of, in this case, humanity becoming this sort of infectious insidious mm-hmm. thing we have one of the auditors taking human form mm-hmm. to commission this clock that's going to destroy the universe right and she the more she's human the more she becomes human and there's this whole exploration through her and then later through the other auditors of processing sensory data and the fact that you have to turn your logic off to be human half the time because they're all logic and the human body just doesn't work like that and, and it's she, so good. And she says, like, she doesn't realize, because she, she, uh, she's a formless, she starts out as a formless, yeah, genderless auditor. auditor who is exactly the same, but she takes on this form of Lady Lejean. Uh, and there's some good wordplay there. She's Myria as in Myriad. Yeah. And Lejean as in Legion. Yeah. Which I kind of like. Because she's many, part of the many, auditors many. who are, yeah. Yeah, that name means many, many. And... She beca- as she's becoming more human, a lot of it has to do with being in a body because mm-hmm. a human body does stuff without <laughs> the consciousness telling you to do Glands. it. Glands. Yeah. He's talked about that in other ways before. And, you know, if something's coming toward your head, you catch it. Yep. Unless you're me. Yeah, but, well, that's true. <laughs> but still doing that, huh, buddy? <laughs> but yeah, and there's a whole thing about how like the math involved in, because he might have been mm-hmm. talking about this too, how they have made computers and robots to like like computer brains in robots to catch a ball mm-hmm. and how complicated that is for a machine to learn and, like, and how we're so good at it. That very good robot dog that is learning how to walk and how complicated it is for that robot dog to learn how to walk upstairs and hold its weight on its back and its front without tipping over. Right. But there's a, there's a passage that I had uh, highlighted. This is a bit of a long one uh, about why they made her a woman specifically. Uh, They built a woman. It was a logical choice. After all, while men wielded more obvious power than women, they often did so at the expense of personal danger, and no auditor liked the prospect of personal danger. Beautiful women often achieved great things, on the other hand, merely by smiling at powerful men. The whole subject of beauty caused the auditors a lot of difficulty. It made no sense at a molecular level, but research turned up the fact that the woman in the picture, Woman Holding Ferret, by Leonard of of Quorum, was considered the epitome of beauty, so they'd based Lady Lejeune on that. They'd made changes, of course. The face in the picture was asymmetrical and full of minor flaws, which they had carefully removed. The result would have been successful beyond the auditor's wildest dreams if they'd ever dreamed. Now that they had their stalking horse, their reliable human, anything was possible. They were learning fast, or at least collecting data, which they considered to be the same as learning. So was Lady Lejeune. She had been a human for two weeks. Two astonishing, shocking weeks. Whoever would have guessed that a brain operated like this, or that colors had a meaning that went way, way beyond spectral analysis... How could she even begin to describe the blueness of blue, or how much thinking the brain did all by itself? It was terrifying. Half the time, her thoughts seemed to not be her own. She had been quite surprised to find that she did not want to tell the other auditors this. She did not want to tell them a lot of things, and she didn't have to. She had power. Oh, over Jeremy, that was not in question now. Uh, She had to admit, rather worrying. It was causing her body to do things by itself, like blush. She had powers over the other auditors, too. She made them nervous. Of course, she wanted the project to work. It was their goal, a tidy, predictable universe where everything stayed in its place. If auditors dreamed, this would be another dream. Except, except, the young man had smiled at her in a nervous, worrying way, and the universe was turning out to be a lot more chaotic than even the auditors had suspected. A lot of the chaos was happening inside Lady Lejeune's head. Mm-hmm. 
There's a long passage, but worth it. There's a couple of things to unpack in that. Yes, that pretty much summed up the whole idea of an auditor being Mm -hmm. human and all her entire arc that I really liked. And I didn't know where to stop because like, ooh, this This and this and that and and that's good, all of it. She was fantastic. Such a good character. This book, we both took longer than normal getting our notes and thoughts together. Yeah, it's like, okay, half an hour and I'll be, you know, ready to go. And I kept going, ah, no, one more thing. I need to make sure that we talk about this and Uh this connects to this and oh, fuck, 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 fuck. But, um, the auditors take a picture of a beautiful woman and they remove the flaws and yes. make her more symmetrical because they think that's what beauty, what beauty is, mm-hmm. but they don't understand the idea that uh, a face that looks completely hum- perfect, perfect in, a, in a, in a clinical yeah, way. It's weird. Yeah. And like, it's, it's sort of uncanny Valley and people don't like it. Mm-hmm. And people respond to Lady Lejean weirdly because they look at her and like, I guess she's pretty, but mm-hmm. there's don't something care off. For it. Yeah. And before we sort of talk about like more about the auditors and stuff, there's a few really flip things about femininity mm-hmm. uh, in this book, sort of in general. That the beginning of the passage started that way, like where it's like, well, women don't do dangerous things, but they can seduce men into doing them. Am I right, ladies? I, I understand that that's how it sounds, yeah. and probably what like part of what he meant. I'm not going to argue that for a minute, but. What I read, because I've read so much Terry mm-hmm. Pratchett, is he understands that while men are nominally in charge, women are really in charge. Because that's how his books almost always work. Yeah, but that also feels sort of stereotypy and weird. It does. Like I don't, it, it does. Like I say, it's very flip and thoughtless. Yeah. And that actually kind of leads into your bad thing. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't, you, you know, you're more qualified yeah. to call out a lot of the... the the feminism stuff you, that I am You, 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 uh, like, pounce. There's not a lot bad in this book, and you sort of pounced on this one. She's like, ooh, 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 that's my bad thing. Well, this, this offends me as a comedian, is what it is. This is not, like, like, you can speak to this more from a feminism standpoint. I just don't like it as a joke, which is, okay, so we got the, we got the four horsemen. Right. Which end up being the five horsemen. Right. But, but first we think it's the four. And, okay, first of all, he's done this bit. He's yes. done this bit in other Discworld books. Uh, Good Omens was pretty old by this point. I think it came out in like 90, 91, mm-hmm. something like that. So then this book came out in 2000 or something. So it had been around for a while. He's done Four Horsemen shtick. It's done. Like, why do you keep coming back to this? Like, what if Four Horsemen, but funny? Like, that's all there is. That's actually my bad thing. You, yeah, yeah. And we can talk more about that in a sec. But specifically, uh, he goes with the idea that one of them, the toughest one, yeah. war, has a horrible wife who has whipped him. And, like, I thought we moved past the horrible wife jokes at this point. Like, she's she's a dumb vaudeville wife telling her formerly powerful husband what to think and what to do. Better eat some oatmeal. You can't have any bacon, Do I Do I like beer? No, dear. Okay. Uh. okay. And we both laughed at do I like such and such because it's a funny joke construction. Yep. But it's like, oh, come on, man. And we had some of this with Lady Sybil, too, like Vimes and Sybil, where he doesn't listen to her. Yeah, but we know Vimes, and we, yeah. we should know Sybil more is something yeah. I've been realizing. But you know what I mean? Like, that's a little different. But this is just... And and this ties into what you're you're yeah. about to talk about. But because of all the... There's a big connection to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. She's basically coded as Yoko. Yoko wasn't... Like, in popular... Like, in the popular yeah. uh, uh, understanding of what happened, she came in and ruined everything. That's not what happened. She made him better, man. 
that's the that's the narrative to me is he was a piece of shit. He sure was. And this force came into his, his first life. Wife like absolute trash. I mean, he said it in a song. Yeah. I used to beat my wife is what he said. Yep. Like you know, and like she came into his life, made him look at a lot of stuff. He went through a lot of crap after that, mm-hmm. but he came out the other side saying, you know what? Maybe I should be nicer and maybe I should be a better person. And I fucked up my first kid. Maybe I should be better to this one. And then he got shot. But what if I wasn't a trash fire to everyone that's in my life? Like hmm. why the narrative that John Lennon was a yeah. piece of shit, I don't disagree with, but also he was getting better. And I love the narrative of a person trying to improve themselves. And she was that in his life. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but, that ties into what you were going to say. But yeah, bad so thing. the the four horsemen, or it turns out that there's five. Yeah. There's a lot of Beatles stick in this mm-hmm. where they're like a band who kind of broke up over creative differences and they lost one of their guys. Yeah, because, also there's a fifth one no one talks about yeah, anymore. Yeah, was it Pete Best? That's the one? There's It depends on who you talk yeah. to. There's also Stuart, Stuart Sutcliffe. Yeah. Like there's a few fifth Beatles. Yeah, so there's a lot of that and they talk about trashing hotel rooms and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it, firstly, it's not particularly funny. No. It's got nothing really new to say it's about got that. His, it's got his usual just like in our world, huh? Yeah. And like it, we're mostly past that now. It was, yeah, very sort of elbowy moving pictures like... Yeah. You know this? Yeah. It's it's not funny. It's just references. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't buy us anything. No. Whereas everything else in this book is so character driven and everything that we do and learn comes to us through character development. And the thing is, using the Beatles, mm-hmm. which is at least the, the narrative version, yeah. the version everyone understands, right. not necessarily digging deep, but yeah. superficially, a group of four very young, very talented guys who came mm-hmm. together and turned into this cultural force mm-hmm. and then broke up by the time they were 30. Yeah. Like, everyone knows that story. As shorthand, if he used that to get us into something new and different, that'd be cool. But he, it wasn't he, that. It was just like, hey, look, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Yeah. And... Yeah, it, it didn't. It felt very out of place because everything else in this book was so. It was so deliberate and thought out, and it was. And if thoughtful. not original, at least spun into something original yeah. from something old. It was thoughtful, character driven, pointed, and tied into all the yeah. other themes. Like it echoed the other parts of the book. And so this really, when we now that we're getting into sort of the bit, well, we've got. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah, but now that, we're, now that we're out, like pretty much every book we're going to go do from here on in is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Maurice. Yeah, we're almost um, there. But this means we get to the point where the few things that don't fit really show up. You're like, you can well, do better than this. It felt like he had to give death something to do. Yeah. It's what it felt like. And sometimes... That happens, and he finds something good mm-hmm. for death to do. In this case, it was just like the four horsemen shtick again, huh? Yeah. That, is, that is kind of tired. And all of the death in Susan stuff was gold. It always is. Yeah. We've pointed that out every time. Him... There's a great sequence where Death of Rats is trying to prove to him that the auditors are around. Um, oh, I hated around, that sequence, actually. Um, with using like a, like a butter side down situation. Uh-huh. And that was fine, whatever. But then... Death slips on the butter and falls on the ground. It's so uh, funny. It was, uh, there's there's just some old sort of tired jokes mm-hmm. that have been on the internet since there's been an internet. Mm-hmm. And 
to- like dropping bread butter side down versus cats landing on their feet mm-hmm. is one of those jokes that's been around so long mm-hmm. that it's like, ugh, this again. Huh? I was mostly just responding to death falling death on his butt. Fa- yeah, I get it. And then he yells at death of rats. And right. It's good. I, but on the other hand, so we have the whole Beatles thing, which mm-hmm. is tired and not. Mm-hmm. But then we have, remember in, was it the last book, The Truth? I don't remember. Anyway, remember yeah. in The Truth yes. where we were talking about how the Pulp Fiction bits had nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything and like it was Why? just Pulp Fiction. Remember that movie? Here, there is a bit lifted very clearly from Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs that is different and unique and justified. Like you have the auditors all giving each other color names. Yes. Like in uh, Reservoir Dogs, you're Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? And here, they're all arguing and it's all sort of adapted to this new setting and turns into a whole new thing and it's like and here's it's a, how you take it's a status thing like yeah. the idea is that they want to be the best color yeah. so he starts with this pop culture reference uh-huh. that if you don't know it it doesn't matter if you do uh-huh. it's like oh that's from that movie but he builds on it and makes it a new thing so that it's his now and not just i'm quoting a movie uh-huh. it's no here's the starting point and now i'm turning it into something very unique to this story yeah so it's a reference uh-huh. it's also kind of a funny bit with them um arguing over who gets to be what but it's also very character driven and it's showing that the auditors that take human bodies are becoming more human more petty more petty because uh, auditors when they're not in human bodies they don't care which one is called which because they even object they object to the personal pronoun yeah the first time lady lejean says i they're like what are you what 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 is happening right now i does not apply to us the idea is that if they are um if they're a person, if mm-hmm. they're if they're singular, if they're different from each other, they uh, invite death in, basically. Yeah. And that's the idea is that they, um, and also they can be blamed for something, whereas a committee can't be blamed for anything, which, which is a some, little axe grindy. There's a, yeah, there's a little nice little social yeah. commentary on bureaucracy there, which I like. But again, it's part of the story and the characters it's yes. not just like but it also drives the plot it's yeah. also not just a because sometimes he does this and i'll forgive him this because it's good but sometimes he'll go into a weird cul-de-sac with mm-hmm. characters that have nothing to do with anything and it's like well i got to spend an extra five minutes yeah. with granny weatherwax and this other character so who cares it had nothing usu- to do with anything it's usually him doing his tight five on something that he yeah. <laughs> wanted but to here, talk about here it drove the plot because the whole third act is these auditors mm-hmm. in human form being the bad being the bad guy they all have to elude being the bad yes well i was thinking big bad yeah. in terms of like narrative yeah. structure like th- th- being the villain the mm-hmm. final boss that you have to beat to to win the thing and because they're in this situation that's how they're defeated they're defeated with chocolates mm-hmm. because they can't handle the sensory overload of all the incredible things that come with a good chocolate that they just explode yeah well lady lejean says uh she tries like a cracker like mm-hmm. one small bite a of a ginger cracker, biscuit and she almost that almost that almost does her in yep so these like special fancy extra exquisite yeah they go to the nice cl- they go to the nice chocolate factory yeah. to get like the the best ones what i like and you'll have to speak to mm-hmm. this from the more feminist perspective but i thought that it was nice that you had a whole long scene of two women Mm -hmm. talking about the temptation of chocolate and it didn't feel like a hacky Kathy comic. I thought it did feel like a hacky Kathy comic. No, I thought it was cute. I I thought, this isn't isn't Counselor Troy. This is something. It was, I will say, at the the very end, 
like we, we spent there's a lot of time talking about wah wah chocolate in this um and i like that stuff uh i don't know i didn't it was fine i didn't i wasn't like i didn't because find it objectionable it was it was one of the first cracks in susan's armor where she's got this weakness for the chocolates and if she reaches in and she gets a shitty nougat one she'll reach in again and get another it one doesn't because, count yeah that's yeah. gross nobody wants that nobody and, wants a milky way and that is that is a house rule that a lot of people observe if you take yeah. a bite of a chocolate you don't like you get to spit it out and have another one yeah exactly um, i'm allowed one chocolate today but it better be one that i enjoy yeah and I don't know, I kind of like that as she's this like powerful schoolmistress, but mm-hmm. she's got this little weakness. And then also this human, like this woman who's taken form for the mm-hmm. first time is like overpowered by senses. I, I don't know. Like They had a thing in common and I like that. I just felt like giving Susan a weakness was good mm-hmm. and giving us the first crack in her armor was mm-hmm. good, but like... The woman's weakness being bonbons is a little like, are you kidding me? Well, that's what I thought. I thought he yeah. made it like it is hacky, but I thought he made it interesting. If yeah. you disagree, that's fine. Yeah, I just I, and again, I like I wasn't like offended by no. it. it was, I just thought it was like it felt first drafty. Um, but that being said, at the end, Lady Lejean, like she helps defeat the auditors and she saves the day. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, she says, "I want to die." Yeah, because... and instead of instead of poofing away yeah. like an auditor does back into their form, mm-hmm. she's been human long enough that she gets to be visited by death. Yes. She actually has a soul now. She and she wants to die because she says she's inc- incurably insane. Right. Um, because being human is nuts. Well, and, and Susan even remarked on yeah. this early on. She didn't grow up. Right. If she had grown up and gradually acclimated to her senses like people do, that mm-hmm. might be one thing. But she just suddenly was thirty. Yep. And she doesn't. It's not even just the senses. It's also things that people learn are cultural norms yes. and like she doesn't understand how to talk to people. No, if you people. poofed into existence yeah. as an adult and ha- and suddenly just had to know all this stuff, it would drive you nuts, but you learn it yeah. gradually. <laughs> and she, they're doing like a death-defying trying to save the world thing mm-hmm. and she's going to be uh, the distraction so that Susan and um, Lopsang uh, can go and uh, break the clock. Mm-hmm. And she says, well... Um, I'll be the distraction, and also uh, Lutze can help me because he's old and he'll probably be dead soon anyway. Uh-huh. And then they all look at her, and uh, Lutze's like, well, that's true, but, but you, you don't, don't have, have to, to say, say it. it. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I fucked up again. Yep. Um, so that being said, she, she there's things about being human she enjoys, but it's, she just says it's too much to learn. Mm-hmm. She says there's so much be- about being human that you'd need several lifetimes, which is, again, a nice echo of all the reincarnation stuff right. that we have. Um, and she decides the way she wants to die is to fall back into a vat of, like, chocolate. Death so, by chocolate. Yeah. Shut up, which, lady. <laughs> that's a pretty good payoff that I did I not thought so. Comps, that's that what I'm saying. Coming. I thought he took what typically reads as kind of a hacky bit and made it, like, unlike the Mrs. War is a mm-hmm. nag thing. I Ugh. thought it was, like... This is this is kind of funny. This is women and chocolate, but it like was actually kind of funny to me. I like I say I didn't love it throughout most of the book, but the payoff was really good. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, so I, we've talked about all the auditor stuff and all that. I think um, let's talk about like and and Susan. Is yeah. there anything major to say about Susan? Uh, no, I think that's... Um... So we need to talk about Lutze and Lopsang yeah. and all all of that stuff. We've barely touched on that yet. So that's because there's so many things in Yeah, this... I know. This well, I'm trying to approach books, it yeah, sort of from, by thread. Yeah. Well, is... wait, wait, wait. Before we get there. Yes. 
Susan goes and visits uh, Nanny Og. That's the other big part. Yes. So um, there's a great, like the book opens mm-hmm. with um, this uh, shrouded character. We find out later that it's when. Yeah. Com- like panicky coming to um, Nanny Og. And a coming couple- to young Githa Og. Yes. So first he comes to young Githa Og and says, I need the best midwife. And she's like, I'm 16. I've done one solo delivery. I guess I could do it, but I don't really know what I'm doing I'm, yet. I'm not the best No, at goody, anything. goody whoever just taught me. At least mm. see her, and she might not even be the best, but yeah. she's better than me. And then he comes back to her again at middle life. When she's Mrs. Og. Yeah, and she says, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that I can learn, but... Like I'm, I wouldn't say I was the best, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good. And if you need help, I'll, of course, I'll come. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back to Nanny. To Og. Nanny Og when she's older, and at that the point, the character we know, yeah, she is the best. She's the best. But midwife also, there's there like is. a little bit of humility there, where it's like, well, there might be someone better than me, but I've never met her. Yeah, I'm very good. This I am. She very doesn't want to go around saying she's the best, but she also knows she's the yeah. best. It's a nice bit of, but. What I like about that that sequence mm-hmm. is it plays exactly like a joke. It does. Like. First, he came to the door when she was young, and she didn't know. Second, he came to the door when she was middle-aged, and she kind of knew. Like, okay, I get where this is going. And there's actually kind of a, a nice bit, because this is being explained uh, to Quoth the Raven, who is... Almost not in this yes, book at all. Which is because as soon Hooray. as Quoth showed up, I was like, oh, fuck. There, were, there was a good bit with him where he's following them through the valley that yeah. I actually thought was funny. And this was another bit where he says he says to Death, um, how come Miss, Miss Og... Oh yeah, Death's watching into, yeah. all this like through his magic yeah. whatevers. Um, how come Miss Og turned into Mrs. Og? Uh-huh. Uh, it seems a bit rural. And uh, Death says that um, witches are matrilineal; <laughs> they find it easier to change. Yeah, the uh, husband changes his name. Yeah, they, they find it easier to change men than to change names. And it still feels like another example of him fixing "quote unquote" something. Someone asked, probably, probably in a, in a yeah. news group a million years ago. Why are there two Miss Mr. Ogs? That mm-hmm. does she marry his brother? What is that? Yeah. Here, fine. Yeah. Here's why. Shut up. It's like um, now sometimes, uh, like I mean, well, you get celebrities one, who, yeah, they don't change their no. name because, yeah, not because of any particular like, just because uh, they don't want yeah, to. Any, no, we're no, we're married and you didn't change your name and I, I didn't want you no to. No interest in. I that. have no interest in giving you my name. Gross. That's not. It's you're not my property. Um, but besides that, for. Um, for a lot of famous people, it's not even an issue of them having strong feelings about taking a name or not. No, taking it's a name. brand recognition. It's, yeah, exactly. You don't want to have to start and over again. It's probably a bit of that with Nanny too. Probably in in the Ram Tops. If you want someone to deliver a baby, you want Nanny Og, yeah. not Nanny whatever her name is now. But I love all of that. And then we have Susan, sort of the detective, mm-hmm. coming back and figuring out who is involved in this plot and. There's a great interaction between them. What I love is how organic all of this mm-hmm. is, how natural it is. Nanny Og should not be in a story about Susan that largely takes place with monks up in the mountains and in the city. Like, there's no room for Lanker in this, and it fit perfectly. Because um, this... Best midwife. Yeah, and this baby um, that they needed Nanny Og for turns out to be the baby of time. Like, yeah. the, the avatar, the concept right, of time. Right, the god or whatever yeah. of time, the goddess. And then... Uh, when yeah. is the father because he like he loves the idea of time so much and there's this really like good passage where um Lutze is talking to Lobsang and says there's this book 
that mm-hmm. we don't let people read. It's kind of a secret. It's only for the high up monks. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a love poem from when to time. To time. Uh-huh. And it's very fairy yeah. tale. Like he's so into the thing that he's into that it becomes personified as a woman and yeah. falls in love with it. Yeah. And I love all that. Yeah. But the baby ends up being two babies mm-hmm. in this weird sort of time stutter. Like between the tick of a clock, the baby is born and then the baby is born again. And Nanny looks at herself delivering the baby. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end up with Jeremy, who makes the clock. Right. And uh, Lobsang. Who, who destroys the clock. Who destroys the clock. Right. Yeah. Jeremy. That's so mythic. Jeremy so Clarkson is a weird choice. Every time. To name him after an old racist. Yep. An old angry ye- racist who yells at people on set. Yeah. And and he was that twenty years ago when this book was written. Yeah, like it's not that's he's, not a new development. He's always been an old angry racist, as far as I can tell. Yeah, so it was a weird choice, it but was, whatever. And every single time, it was kind they of, didn't say his last name very often. No, but it was so. distracting. Mm. <laughs> I found it a little distracting. The first time I read this book, I looked up in L Space and it mm-hmm. said Jeremy Clarkson is a reference to Jeremy Clarkson. I'm like, oh, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Well, now I know who that yep. is. I wish I didn't. Yep. <laughs> Notice he doesn't come back to QI anymore. Yeah, they have not asked sucks. him back. Um, but what I like about Jeremy is he's the best version we've seen of this hyper obsessed with his work character. Like Mr. Tea Time. Well, there's two aspects to yeah. him. There's the hyper obsessed with mm-hmm. his work, like Hodges Arg, mm-hmm. or even Jason Ogg to mm-hmm. some extent. Like just sees the world through the filter of the thing that he does, and, and that some is some of all. the witches too. Like Granny's yeah. got a bit of that. Yes, and then there's also the insanity quote unquote mm-hmm. of mr tea time mm-hmm. like but, but both of but those things are mr tea time was like his work was assassin was assassin so yeah. it was the same kind of thing it was just putting that hyper focus um that unhealthy hyper focus but there was a lot of that bad. hacky description of serial yeah. killers and all that in here be- first of all because glass, it wasn't a serial killer glass cages uh-huh. and so on yeah yeah, yeah yeah this is my design Ugh. but Ugh. It was all. Ugh. It was all done very well, and I understood that Jeremy only saw things in mm-hmm. terms of clocks and mm-hmm. clockwork and how clocks work. And there's an excellent, excellent passage that I want to read. Is it the fairy tale one? No. There's one thing that he says that I love. He's reading the fairy tale book where the the thing about the glass clock is, and he says he'd been reading, um, like he'd read fairy tales before, but they seem to have a weird thing about not mentioning clocks, which is mm-hmm. such a good way to put that. When you see things like, I mean, yeah. look, I'm a bit like that. I get yeah. it. Um, but uh, so he's talking about like a perfect clock. Yes. Um, and uh, someone says... How do you test to that accuracy? Mm-hmm. They'd often asked him that in the guild once his talents had re- once his talent had revealed itself. He hadn't been able to answer the question then either because it didn't make sense. You built a clock to be accurate. A portrait painter painted a picture. If it looked like the subject, then it was an accurate picture. If you built the clock right, it would be accurate. You didn't have to test it. You'd know. Mm-hmm. And that's like so... I get it. It's, it's instinctive to him to the point yep. where he doesn't understand how not to be like that. And that's because he is time yes and i love the two of them were separated to like as foundlings mm-hmm. brought to the city and and dropped at the doorsteps of different guilds and the idea there was um 
Nanny Og suggested they do that so that the babies can learn to be human. Yes, and learn a trade so that they're not just like flailing as poor, you know, horrible orphans for Mm -hmm. their whole lives. Like in the city, the... uh, all the guilds take their foundlings very seriously. and That's how you get new guys doing right. whatever. Instead of just yeah. old families, yeah. you get fresh fresh blood. And, um, and I think that's a thing that actually happened in really real life. That, I'm sounds, sure. that sounds right. I'm not 100% sure on that. Well, though. I think I think that's where some names come from. Yeah. Is like, you know, because you hear like Smith is from a, yeah. a blacksmith and Weaver is from, you know, so forth. I think those and names Thatcher's were... a Weaver. Yes. Yeah. But those names, I think, were given to the kids who had no families. Yeah, I think that's a thing. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but it's a nice play on the title, mm-hmm. which is also a reference to like procrastination mm-hmm. as the thief of time, because one of them became a thief and one of them became a clockmaker. Yep. And I like that they are the same person, but through the very different experiences became very different one of them became fussy and obsessive and the other became sort of loose and you know well because he became fussy and obsessive because he went to the guild of clock that's what i'm saying it's all perfect clockwork and 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 gears that work together they told him this was good and normal and a good way to be right because they also benefited by him right being obsessed with clocks right whereas Lobsang first is goes to the thieves guild and then he's discovered by the history monks and but he uses when he's a thief he uses his time abilities to basically like slip between moments and steal things without people Mm -hmm. even seeing them and stuff like that and then when he he goes to the mountains he's again taught different like he's taught different things different things are important and at the end when they're sort of merged into one person they decide to be Lobsang because he had better experiences and I get that but I also feel like we completely lose Jeremy at that point. We do. Jeremy just sort of goes away. And I get that, yes, you want, if you could choose, you would choose the one with the better life. But mm-hmm. I feel like he should have been the Lobsang we knew with some Jeremy in there. Mm-hmm. And instead, he was just Lobsang and Jeremy well, just poofed more away. More like a fusion. Yeah. Yeah. But with one dominant personality. Right. A little less like that because Lobsang is clearly the dominant one. That's fine. But make him a little more fussy now. Yeah. Makes whatever. Sense. And... There's a, sort of a burgeoning romance between uh, Jeremy and uh, Lady, Lady Lejeune. Yeah, which I like. Where she sort of is blushing and giggly when he looks at her. And mm-hmm. um, Jeremy cleans his, like, slay, like he fixes his hair and makes right. sure he wears a clean shirt when she comes. Because she's, she's the only one who understands his obsession with time yeah and because her, she comes from this the, the these yeah. people who count everything to down to the atom and to so her, they get it. uh jeremy seems like a sane human right like someone who understands her there's always people dropping in to make sure he's taken his mm-hmm. medicine and all that which i like there's an igor mm-hmm. one of the better igors i would say uh, there, there's some really good igor stuff in this one there is i'm real sick of making fun of the way he looks Me and making too. fun of the way he talks but apart from that there's some great new material if both on of igors. us hadn't already done that as our bad thing yeah. i think once that would have been an, the bad thing it, it comes up every time and it gets real old but each Igor we meet mm-hmm. is new and different and adds something. And it's not just, oh, this joke again. There's something new. And this Igor introduces us to the idea of... The code? The code. Yeah. Which, if you want to talk about that, please do. Yeah. So it's, you know, you don't question the master. You don't... If he if the master says you need a brain at three in the morning, you just go get a brain. Yeah. Um, you don't make fun of the master's, like, their little ways. Right. Like, uh, any of that. Um, and... You have a bag packed and be ready to go. That's, when, yeah. that's the part I wanted to talk about is 
that's a part we that's a thing we haven't talked about yeah. yet which is there is inevitably a point at the end of every mad scientist story where it's time to go yep. and if igor doesn't want to get like pitchforked and torched to death he's got to slip out the back mm-hmm. and there's explicit talk about how that happens because they live to igor another day and yeah. i like that and the 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 main part of the code is that you need if you're going to have Igors, they're going to be an Igor, so you got to get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that way, you'll have an Igor for the next Mad yeah. Doctor. And it turns out his grandfather actually Igored for the original clock builder, mm-hmm. which is why Jeremy decides to make it a grandfather clock, which I thought was right. nice. Um, but yeah, there's some good Igor stuff in there. But again, I think we've covered all that. Now we should probably talk about Lopsang and Lutze. Yeah. So this honestly was I probably my favorite part of the book mm-hmm. was their relationship well i will say before we get into yeah. it just there was no point in like whenever we follow multiple threads yeah. often there's a like oh don't cut to that part i was enjoying yeah. this there was no point in oh, this oh no the wizards in the shopping mall yes exactly here it was it went mostly between susan and then jeremy and then uh, lutze and lopsag and i liked all of that and we so. cut away to the auditors sometimes sometimes and to death sometimes None of it was like, oh, here's Mr. Pin and Mr. Tulip. Ugh. Ugh. No, all yeah. of it was interesting. But you're right, the best part. This was this was probably my favorite part because you've got Lutze. Um, Who's basically Mr. Miyagi. And uh, there's a lot of trickster god in him, which is there one is. of my favorite types of characters. Yeah, there's He's a bit a real, of Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a real Bugs Bunny vibe where yeah. he... Is he's been around for not as long as the Abbot, but like he's been around for a really long. Because time. they mess around with time, they can live for a really long time. I don't know that he's reincarnated like the Abbot has, but mm-hmm. he's messed around with time so much that he's like eight hundred years old. Yeah, so he's so there's and, a bit of Yoda in there yeah. too. So he's he's actually good at this time stuff, mm-hmm. but he's good at some of it. But what he's really good at is building up his own legend and mm-hmm. using just enough power to show, like, to keep people off balance. So if they think he's an old fraud who's just lying about his powers, then he'll pull out a real power. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it he doesn't get cold because he wears long underwear. Well, this is my yeah. quote, actually. And I wanted to use that to talk about a, a, a bigger point. Because what you're describing yeah. sure sounds like another character to me, which yeah. I also really mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm, but we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a sec. Uh, let me just If you want to pull up your quote. Here, I'm just going to pull up. the. Okay. So they're walking down from the mountains to mm-hmm. the city to stop the clock. Uh, I don't know how you can stand this cold. Ah, you don't know the secret? Is it the way of Mrs. Cosmopolite that gives you such power... Lutze hitched up his robe and did a little dance in the snow, revealing skinny legs encased in thick, yellowing tubes. Very good. Very good, he said. She still sends me these double-knit combinations. Silk on the inside, and then three layers of wool, reinforced gussets, and a couple of handy trapdoors. Which made me laugh because I'm an idiot. Handy (laughs) trapdoors. Dick and butt. (laughs) Very reasonably priced at $6 a pair because I'm an old customer. For it is written, wrap up warm or you'll catch your death. It's just a trick? Lutze looks surprised. What? Well, I mean, it's all tricks, isn't it? Everyone thinks you're a great hero, and you don't fight, and they think you possess all kinds of strange knowledge, and it's just tricking people, isn't it? Even the abbot. I thought you'd teach me things worth knowing. I've got her address, if that's what you want. (laughs) If you mention my name... Oh, I see. You don't mean that, right? I don't want to be ungrateful. I just thought... You thought I should use mysterious powers derived from a lifetime of study just to keep my legs warm? Well, debase the sacred teachings for the sake of my knees, you think? Which reminds me so much of Granny Weatherwax. But then immediately after that, it he turned, does some magic. He, he does some magic to keep his feet warm. Yes. 
because like she can't do feet. Yeah. She can't do socks. It's like, yeah. What he should have said was can't knit socks worth a darn. Yes. That's the pun I would have yep. made, but yep, yep, yep. whatever. But it all, what I wanted to use that to talk about was we've talked about this in the context of the wizards, mm-hmm. how the wizards never felt like the opposite number to the witches, mm-hmm. how they just felt like a bunch of old fat idiots, which mm-hmm. is the point of them. And maybe him saying, ha ha, women really run things. But, on the other hand, it always felt like there should be something like witches, but with dudes. And, and it, it does. It's this. Yeah, it's the monks. This is what I always wanted the wizards to be, is Lutze is different. Is a different enough character mm-hmm. from Granny to be distinctive, but his philosophy is very similar. I'm just, you know, I, I don't, ext- like, I, I don't ask nothing from nothing, mm-hmm. like all of Granny's bullshit where mm-hmm. she's just, I don't use magic. What are you talking about? And but he uses just enough magic. Headology. Yes. Is mostly it. <clears throat> Nobody regards a sweeper. Just like everyone respects a witch. Right. It's using the image there's more a, than the actual power. There's one of the famous stories about Lutze is that he, there's a guy who needed to choke, um, choke and die. Like that was. Mm-hmm. What, As history. Yeah, yeah. Which needed to has have happened. But he is behind like a bunch of guards and locked doors mm-hmm. and somehow Lutze managed to do it all by himself mm-hmm. uh, without causing any ruckus and it turns out how he did that was he's dressed like a sweeper because that's what he is nobody paid attention to him he got in there put a fish bone into the pie that this guy mm-hmm. was going to eat and he knew the guy was a glutton and he choked and died Yep. and there was no great magic to and it and that's rule one is and I don't remember the exact wording of it, but it's essentially nobody pays any attention to a little sweeper. Well, the the, the rule one is not that. Rule one is um, if you come across a smiling monk who seems like ah, a, yeah, a yeah, smiling yeah. little old man who seems like he'd be an easy target, but he's smiling sort of disconcertedly. Right, right, right. Uh, don't pick a fight with him because you will lose. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Mister Miyagi stuff. Yeah. And he's fantastic. Again, similar to Granny Weatherwax, but not enough where it's like you already have one of these because no. he's got a sense of humor yep. and that's the thing i like the most about he's funny and playful yeah, yeah. The, the buddhist thing is like the laughing buddha is has been always my thing is like why don't you like if if you can look at the world any way you want why wouldn't you find joy why wouldn't you find happiness and perfect moments and all that mm-hmm. and i love all that stuff and the abbot who runs the history monks mm-hmm. likes Lutze. They're old friends. He's never chosen to take any official status. He's right. always a sweeper and he teaches other sweepers, but all the like the senior ones mm-hmm. understand that he's like he's got almost as much knowledge as the abbot. Mm-hmm. And apart from the abbot, he might be the most senior one, but he's still just a sweeper. Oh, there's a, there's a good sequence where um uh, Lutze and Lobsang are going to see the abbot and they have to take a shortcut through this fancy dojo where a bunch of like high ranking monks are mm-hmm. and one of the young monks takes offense to Lutze being there mm-hmm. and is like you can't be in here this is only You're for just spe- a sweeper yeah, this is only for special people what are you yep. doing here and then the uh the like the guy who's running the dojo says uh don't you want to know the the, the name of the man you're about to destroy mm-hmm. and the uh the monk says why do I need to know the name of a sweeper? And the guy, the the guy running the place, says it's always good to know the name of the sweeper. But I wasn't addressing you; I was addressing <laughs> Lutze, who's going uh-huh. to destroy you. And then the guy says, "Wait, it's Lutze? Oh shit!" I'm boned. And the other reason that Lutze is a monk, like like is a, is a sweeper, mm-hmm. is not just to 
like get into places and be unnoticed. It's also to teach a lesson in humility and treating other people not yeah. like shit. Right. Um, because, and there's a lot of politics yeah. and a lot of status stuff and a lot of like, because some of the higher monks are real shitty to him yeah. and won't let him see the abbot and all that, which is all very good. And, it, you know, and then once they find out who he is, everyone's like, oh, shit. And it teaches people like a lesson, like don't be a dick to people. Yeah, exactly. There's some great stuff with the abbot. So we talk mm -hmm. about reincarnation. Yes. And how the abbot has lived several lifetimes. And there's talk about him being very old and about like his, his teeth, teeth are, are giving, bothering yeah, him. And, and, and he's, he's only eating soft food now. Right. And there's just enough buildup. And then when we see him, it's like he's just reincarnated and he's an infant. He's a tiny baby. Yeah. And that is one of those times where Perry Pratchett has gotten way better mm -hmm. because he used to take a joke like this that would be good and run it right into the ground because the whole first scene mm -hmm. with the abbot is every sentence he says is interrupted by, wow, well, I want a sweetie. Yeah. And, and each time it ha happens again, it happens less long. It's just to remind you that it is happening. Right. Also, it's a nice echo of the body versus the consciousness. Right. Because the consciousness is this thousands of year old monk who is wise and knows right. all kinds of stuff. But bodies the, fall apart. The body, also the body's a baby yeah. who wants a biscuit and a toy. Right. No, and, and all of that stuff is very good. And again, it feels like a joke that in previous mm -hmm. books could have been run right into the it ground. It was funny in this. And here it was very funny yeah. because he knew exactly how long we wanted to hear it before it got old. So here's something when we're talking about the abbot. Yeah. I remember, because uh, the um, Wen is teaching his apprentice, Claude Poole, who's like an idiot. Uh-huh. Like, um, uh, he's just the other voice yeah. in a Socratic dialogue kind but of he's, thing. Yeah, but he's supposed to be kind yeah. of a dummy. Yeah. I remember it turning out that the abbot was Claude Poole, but... I was looking it up and it wasn't in this book. So I'm wondering if I remember completely wrong. I or... don't like we will see Lutze again. Yeah. I don't think we get into their mythology much anymore. So I don't. Yeah. Because I remember there being a scene maybe where. Maybe you just assumed that. Maybe. Because I remember there being a scene where Lutze and the abbot are talking and uh, the abbot's sort of lamenting that like being in charge of everything is like kind of it kind of gets away from the point of what he wants right. to do. And sometimes he misses being just a simple clod pool. But mm. I may be remember that. I also may have made that up because I thought it Could would be. be a nice ending. I mean, that it, that would be, but it'll also be a little pat because then basically everyone is someone else. And like, you need more monks than just two monks. Yeah, you but know that's what I mean? the idea that um, the guy running yeah, I, the place I know, I know, was Wen's apprentice I would know. make sense. And the fact that he can re reincarnate from yeah. a million years ago. I know, but still. But anyways, Lutze is great. Yeah, no, yeah. and I love the the mentor pupil mm -hmm. thing, and I love very quickly Lutze figuring out that Lopsang is like Wonder Boy, as he yeah. calls him. Like, there's not a lot of like for someone who preaches, treat the humble sweeper with respect. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make a lot of assumptions about this young pupil. Once he realizes that he's powerful, he treats him with respect as well. Like it would be very easy for him to be a hypocrite mm -hmm. and to treat the kid like crap. And it's nice that his own philosophy, like... And we don't get into the fucking, I don't know about that young drifter. Doesn't seem like there could be a monster. Like, as soon as Lutze sees right. that there's something going on with Lobsang, he... Yeah. he He's supposed to be smart. He picks it up. And he does. Yeah. And I love all of that. It's... It, ah, yeah. Very good character. Mm -hmm. He will... He will appear again. Yeah. He's in uh, Nightwatch. Mm -hmm. And I think a couple other books. I thought... He sort of like a, a parallel version of him mm -hmm. was in the uh, half Terry Pratchett, half uh, 
other guy. Mm-hmm. I forget the other author's name. The Long Earth books. Tony Braxton. Steven, Steven Baxter. Tony, Tony Braxton. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. A 90s R&B singer. Yes. Also wrote uh, hard sci-fi with, with Terry Pratt. Yes. Um, not hard sci-fi at all. Um, but I think, like I thought that mm-hmm. was that character. That character is actually named Lobsang. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's deliberate or if Terry Pratchett just likes that name. I don't know. I just, I thought it might be interesting as sort of a multiverse thing. Like, does this character sort of transcend time and also exist there? Or is it just a coincidence? Could be either. Yeah, because I mean, that would fit. Because Terry Pratchett does both. He does use, he does, he recycles names. Yeah. uh, But he also would put a character from this in that. I mean, there's so many things from Good Omens. Yeah. In like... He's got a character named Agnes that popped up around the same mm-hmm. time as the other Agnes, and this Four Horsemen stuff keeps mm-hmm. coming up. Like he's, he definitely does. He that. gets ideas and names stuck in his craw, and, and that's fine. Yeah, I think all writers do that. I don't think that's that unusual. Um, you got a quote? Okay, so this is not a Lobsang Lutze bit. Well, there's this, a lot of good bits in yeah, this book. This is um, Susan and Death talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so Susan says they're going to do something to time. I thought they weren't allowed to do things like that, talking about the auditors. Mm -hmm. No, but humans can. It has been done once before. No one would be that stew. Susan stopped. Of course someone would be that stupid. Some humans would do anything just to see if it was possible to do it. If you put a large switch in some cave somewhere with a sign on it saying, End of the world switch, please do not touch, the paint wouldn't even have time to dry. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's echoed in another passage that I, I don't have highlighted, but it essentially boils down to, well, of course, it's not happening in Uberwald. It's happening in Mank Morpork, because if anyone was to build an end of the world switch, it would be, it would be in, in that goddamn city, mm-hmm. which is basically that same uh, sentiment, only specifically filtered to those humans, because, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was... That uh, is very good. Yeah. Uh, any other major points? We're kind of... Running way over time here. Yeah, there's so much to talk about in this there book. Um, we didn't really talk about Mrs. Cosmopolite. Well, uh, it's come up before. Yeah. It's basically just the superficial aphorisms mm-hmm. that uh, Luce believes in. Only they're his, like, that's his religion. And uh, he said when he first heard them, a lot of them echoed stuff that Wen had written. Mm-hmm. Because he also speaking sort of in aphorisms. Well, that's the thing yeah. is like a lot of the sort of basic Zen Buddhism sounds like superficial bullshit you hear, but it's also meant to be a little deep and it's a nice it, play on that. It's meant to be thought provoking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But because you hear it every day coming from every middle-aged person, it's like, ugh, that do, that's meaningless to me now. I um, like all of that. And then one of the funniest moments in the book for me is toward the end, um, Lutze and Lobsang meet in Lutze's Garden of Five Surprises. Mm-hmm. And most of the surprises are Lutze being mean to people. Like mm-hmm. there's like yeah. a flower that puts venomous poison that hurts people's eyes. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a couple of them that are sort of cute. Yeah. And then uh, at the end, um, uh, uh, Lobsang and Jeremy have turned into time. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the avatar of time and all that. And he comes back and says, I need to know the fifth surprise. Yeah, I, I have all of the knowledge of the universe, yeah. and yet I don't know the fifth surprise. Please, Please Sweeper, yes. tell me what it is. And uh, there's there's some stuff, that, there's a bit of business that goes on with that, but eventually um, Lutze tells him, and what he does is put on Groucho glasses 
and uh, wags his ears and says boo. Uh-huh. He says, I didn't say it was a good surprise. I just said it was a surprise. Yeah, nobody saw that coming, did they? Oh, so good. Just that another was. sort of Groucho is kind of another one of those trickstery guys too. Yeah, so that was. That but it was, was nice. It was very um, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. There's a point, and I think this is the beginning of the second Karate Kid movie. <laughs> I know the first one very well. After <laughs> that, I don't really know. But uh, there's a bit where he's like got the guy on the ground, and he's like, you know, live or die. And the guy says, die, and then he just like honks his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else? No, I think that that's, I mean, honestly, this is one of those books that I could talk about for hours and hours yeah, yeah, and we yeah. should probably wrap Which it up. Which is good going into it. You're like, I don't remember anything about this book. I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. Like, yeah, yeah, you are. You are. I liked it more than I, I, than I remembered it being pretty good, but it was definitely it's better It's the best Susan book for yeah. sure. And mm-hmm. Lutze is great. And there's a lot of other good things too, but those two things in particular. Very good. All right. So what do you got for a pune? Um, so for my pune. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Uh. She, time, fell in love with a human. How very romantic, said Susan, inserting the K. Now she was being childlessly perverse, she knew, but a life as death's granddaughter was not easy, and occasionally she had the irresistible urge to annoy. Ah, a pun or a play on words, said death wearily, although I suspect you were merely trying to be tiresome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that one's for you. you. You said it, you said it, death. Is that a big D? <laughs> uh, so what'd you give it for a grade? Uh, B plus. Very, wow. very good. I gave it an A. Yep. Not not perfect, but mm-hmm. excellent. This is in my like top 10. Like, this is a good one. Like once you go outside the watch books mm-hmm. and you get into the, and, and the witch books, like mm-hmm. you go sort of the one-offs, like mm-hmm. this is probably the top of the list there. Um, here's a surprise. Is Are you going to put on Groucho glasses and wiggle your ears? I don't I have Groucho glasses, but I don't have them handy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, in terms of, uh, cliche count. Yes. Remarkably light on all fronts. Two gingerlies, which happened, like, basically right on top of each yeah. other. I remember noticing Yeah, it that. was like, ugh, ugh. No susurrations, no surreptitious. We expected a fuck ton of quantum mm-hmm. because of all the talk of mm-hmm. chaos and, and, and all that. Only four. Oh. Doesn't feel right at all. because well, we talked about the yeah. idea of but, quantum a lot. But, as a good writer does, he didn't repeat the same word yeah. over and over again. Uh, and something that happened only other, to other people only happened to us once. Which is, that's fine. That is acceptable. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, so that's all for this time. Next time, actually next month, if you're listening to this sort of uh, the way we release them and mm-hmm. not uh, all in one go like like the Patreon people are. Just get, get go to the Patreon and pay They're us not- some money. By the time they hear this, we will be long done. Yeah, but then they can listen to the whole show all at once. I guess that's true. Just all 100 hours yeah. or whatever. Uh, but anyway, next month you will be getting two episodes because the next yes. book is very short. Yep. The next, bi- the next book, The Last Hero, is an illustrated book and it's very short. It's a bit like Eric. Mm-hmm. So we will be releasing that and the long, long dreaded The Amazing Maurice and his whatever, whatever. And his boring Talented, bullshit. I want Technicolor bullshit. Um, we're gonna listen to that book in one sitting mm. but uh the, the the point is we like the one you if you're tired of hearing us moan guess what the moaning's over after next week after yep. next month so and Hooray! Uh, from that point on there's not really any there's some ups and downs yeah. but they're all basically a's and b's i don't think we're going below a b nope from that, that point on there's no really bad books and there's... it's not like we're at the end yeah we got 10 12 books to yeah. go still maybe even 15 a lot and all of them, yeah, some of them are better than others, yes. but they're, they're all good. Like the worst one might be like a B minus, yeah. but there's ever like, they're all very, very good. So look forward to that. 
Uh, but that's all for this time. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2019 and 2020. For full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcast.com. And for access to our show notes, bonus photos, advanced copies of episodes, and even the opportunity to pick something for us to review, consider a donation at patreon.com Algar. That's A-A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening. <laughs>